Good evening and welcome everyone to another V Brown Bags. Tonight we are joined again by Dwayne McDaniel. Um, hey Dwayne, thank you for joining. Hey. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for coming back. Um, so Dwayne has joined us before talking about uh, Git and everything under the hood of Git um, with a talk he gave called Demystifying Git. It was really great. It goes into you know, the details of the Git folder a um, little bit of background on the history of Git, all the new features of Git, and you know some of the lesser known features that if you add them to your Git workflow, it probably really help you out. Um, so happy to have Dwayne back um, tonight. We're going to be he's going to be talking to us about what Git metrics can tell us about your team, not us. What Git metrics can tell you about your team, um, and. Uh, yeah, so Dwayne has been working as a develop, uh, DevRel professional since 2016. He's been involved with the wire tech community even before then. Um, Dwayne is currently still in Chicago, and uh, I don't know, are you still doing improv or are you? Yeah, uh, about the same amount I was before, but yeah, I, I'm still uh, here. I was at the theater last night, the Annoyance last night, uh, watching some awesome improv. Um, yeah, I was on the stage on Sunday. So yeah, and seeing a lot of rock and roll these days. It's uh, really the summer. Summer in Chicago is pretty awesome for a lot of reasons, but rock and roll is, is where it's at. Yeah, I have to get to Chicago. I've heard many great things about it. Uh, a colleague of mine showed me, I forgot the name of it. It's this national park right on the water, but it just looked beautiful. And uh, but for that and many other reasons, I need to get to Chicago. But a little bit before we get started, um, join us in on the conversation. I'll be looking at Twitter all night. I'll be also be wa watching the chat feed uh, throughout the show. And if you have any questions for Dane, uh, Dwayne, you know, uh, put it in the chat, put it on Twitter, and uh, with the Twitter hashtag at vbrownbag or hashtag vbrownbag, and I'll I'll make sure to get those answered. Um, you can follow Dwayne McDaniel at McDwayne on Twitter. You can follow me at Cloud Osmotic. Um, and with that, uh, let's get started. So Dwayne, the, the ball is yours and um, thank you again. I would do that awkward transition. Uh, I think I have to stop sharing your screen before I can take over. Oh. Yes, there we go. Right now I'm gonna share my screen. Yeah, great uh, thing there where it inverts a little bit or uh, infinite. Um, anyway, hey everybody, I'm Dwayne. Um, very excited to be back here for uh, V Brown Bag. Uh, very awesome that I got invited back. So I uh, really had a good time last time and really good conversation. It's a really awesome community and happy to be supporting. Um, so as I think this is everything that was said about me, follow me on Twitter out there. If you have any questions about anything, hit me up and I'm happy to I'll talk about just about anything out there. So these days I work for a company called Git Guardian. Uh, GitGuardian uh, is a code security platform. The thing that they are the most known for is secret detection. Uh, they have a public monitoring tool that is completely free to use for open source and for individual developers. And it detects secrets, uh, secrets being those things like passwords and API keys and certificates and all of the other crazy stuff that we need to make all of the DevOps infrastructure work. Um, they also make internal uh, monitoring. So if you have an app that is completely private, uh, still make sure that, hey, 
we're not leaking our secrets anywhere. And there is a new uh, thing. This just went up in the last few weeks. Uh, labs by Git Guardian. Uh, Git Guardian um, well, makes a bunch of things, but they have uh, projects that uh, the Good Samaritan project where they're taking a look at all the repos they can see out on the internet, uh, specifically on GitLab, our GitHub, and figuring out, hey, our secrets exposed there. Um, GG Shield for Docker, Git Guardian Shield for Docker. If you're running Docker, there's a lot of ways you can leak secrets there. And that's a awesome project. Uh, it's a CLI uh, that will help you figure out pretty quickly, did we do Docker security right? Um, has my code leaked? If you're wondering if someone's got your code out there, this is a really easy, quick, and free way to figure that out, looking at uh, the signatures of, um, of your Git repos. And uh, GG Canary, which is the newest thing that Git Guardians rolled out, uh, Canaries are fake tokens that if someone tries to use it, it sends off alarms. So a quick way to see, hey, is someone actually trying to get into my system, set up some canaries and wait and find out. Uh, it's my favorite story and I'm fairly new here, but one of my favorite stories is someone put out a canary uh, and within four hours, the first attempt, and then it was multiple attempts after that. So it's a dangerous world out there. We got your back. Check out Good Guardian, but I'm not really here to talk about that. I'm happy to talk about anything else. And I have a lot of slides on this deck, and I used this exact same slide before. Uh, I can't teach you everything you could possibly need to know about uh, Git metrics and how to map that to your DevOps organization. Hopefully, I'll point you in the right direction today, give you some more uh, resources and some food for thought. Uh, if you disagree with me on some things, that's all right. These are my opinions based on the data that I have seen and all the reading and research I have done. Um, you might come to slightly different conclusions, but I think we'll have a good conversation and be on the right path. So why am I talking about this particular issue? Working with Git uh, and DevOps for as long as I have, I have found that a lot of people just Oh, we're going to run it and hopefully it runs well. And they're not measuring everything they can be measuring to improve it. As Lord Kelvin said, you can't, if you can't measure it, you can't improve it. Some things are really easy to measure and we measure those really well. Um, that's New Relic over there on the left. Uh, one of their examples from their docs. But you can get all sorts of server stats at a moment's notice, uptime, disk capacity, all the great stuff. If I ask 100 developers, what's the most important server stat, you'd get 100 awesome, different, awesome answers. When it comes to measuring some other things, uh, now it starts getting a little trickier. It's like, what do we measure to make sure our developers are doing their job right? It's the number of lines of code an hour. Well, theoretically, they'd write more elegant code, so that we can't can't do that, um, that they showed up to their desk every day. Some developers work in spurts and you don't see them for two weeks at a time and then they don't leave the office for a month. Um, how many bagels do they Is that a really important number? Not really. When we started talking about DevOps, there are tons and tons of things to measure because DevOps is not one thing. It's the practice of putting all of the pieces together to develop and deploy and operate our code and our systems out there. So these are some possible things we can measure. Do they tell us anything? Maybe, maybe they do, maybe they don't. The problem though, isn't that we don't have 
enough data. We have a lot more data right now and more data is being produced every day than we've ever produced in the history of humanity. It's insane how much data is out there. Um, we'll share the slides and there's a link to this article and it's kind of mind blowing how much data we've created. I think it was 2008 was the year we crossed over where we hit a point where we were creating more data a day than we had created it from the entire history of humanity up to that point. Uh, and we've been multiplying ever since. So it's kind of nuts. And we have all these great projects where we're gonna use business intelligence to get all this data and use it. And we built these things called data lakes. I don't know about you, but I grew up by Lake Erie and Lake Erie is kind of terrifying because you cannot see more than like a foot below the water. You don't know what's down there. Catfish the size of cars. Uh, who knows what's in your data lakes? Maybe security stuff that shouldn't be in there. Uh, who's accessing these data lakes? What what lurks beneath? Well, luckily, Google had the same problem, and Google threw a lot of time and money behind this and said, we should build something that figures out for our DevOps organizations, what's the right data? What's the right thing to measure? So they built this thing called DORA, DevOps Research and Assessment. If you get nothing else out of this talk, if you have not read this book yet, Accelerate by Nicole Ferguson, um, Jez Humble, and Gene Kim, go buy this and read it a couple of times. This is a, kind of the Bible for how DevOps should function now and what we should be measuring. So if you've read this already and you already have a long, strong set of opinions, uh, maybe this talk isn't the, you're gonna get a lot out of this talk. Maybe you'll disagree with me on some things. If you're brand new to this, well, that's why I've written this talk. Oversimplified, uh, maybe the point of not usefulness, but um, organizations that do DevOps poorly struggle, which results in employee burnout and high turnover, which then has a cascading effect, uh, the vicious cycle that since there's so much burnout, there's so much turnover, they never get their handle on actually fixing the problems. Meanwhile, organizations that do it right very much align their business uh, benefits and um, mission with their DevOps mission, and everybody's happy. Literally, everybody's happy. That's the outcome. And we call those performers elite performers. Now, of course, not everybody's super ecstatic every day of their lives, but overall, you get happier employees, happier places to work. Dora, again, oversimplified, says these are the four things that matter, these four metrics. Um, before we go and dig into those, though, Word of caution, the results, our good metrics are a result of uh, solving our underlying issue. They are not the, just, we have these great metrics, awesome. We can go off and do other things now. Uh, it takes a lot of dedication and a lot of work to get to good metrics. And it should be a result of that process, not, hey, we juked the stats as they said on the wire, and now suddenly, hey, we're, everybody should be happy because this number technically went up. Um, so don't go chasing these as numbers. Think of these as these are indicators of how all the rest of your processes are going together. Again, oversimplifying what it took a Dora team an entire book to tell you. Um, but anyway, here's the four Dora metrics in very simple terms. Deployment frequency. How fast do you get stuff to production? How often is uh, code deployed? Uh, how often is it released to end users? 
the more automation you have, the closer you get to that elite performer status. Uh, mean lead time for changes. How long does it take to get a commit uh, from your developer's laptop to production? This is slightly different than deployment frequency. This is measuring how often you do it. This is how fast you do it. Um, it's the health metric for cycle time. And the big metric that it actually highlights is how, um, how can you handle unexpected influxes of requests? If it takes you three months to get something to production, an emergency is not going to go well. However, it takes you 20 minutes to get, oh, we got this code change. Cool. It takes 20 minutes from beginning to end. Um, oh, wow. We got an emergency today. An extra 20 minutes isn't going to hurt anybody. Um, you can think of this as velocity. If there's one word to sum up lead time for changes. Mean time for recovery, uh, stuff goes wrong. It happens to everybody. How long does it take you to come back from an unplanned outage? This is stability. This is the stability of your system in a nutshell. Um, if it takes you days for, unless like there's a catastrophic power outage on the entire East Coast and it took out AW, um, AWS and S3 buckets, um, unless like something outside of your control happened, if you can come back very quickly, that's a very good sign. Oops, we've deployed something we shouldn't have. Let's roll back. That took minutes. You're probably in the elite performer category already. You're probably doing it right. Uh, change failure rate. When you make changes, how often do you need to roll those things back? It's related to mean time to recover, but this is one that really speaks to the robustness of your entire DevOps practice. Uh, really more time you spend fixing things, the less time you have to delight your customers is the basic underlying theory here. Um, the less, everybody's gonna mess up though. So this assumes that eventually you are going to deploy something you shouldn't have and you do need to roll it back. If it happens every 20, every deployment, something's wrong. Happens once in a while, nah, don't worry about it. Don't sweat it. They broke this down into really awesome charts. And if you get the audio book, like I did, they include all the PDFs with that. Um, and you can go study this all day. Like I say, buy the book and I'm not gonna read the book to you. Because at this point, you probably came in here and said, well, wait a minute, you're talking about Git metrics and now you're explaining Dora metrics to me. Wait, what, what? what's going on? Don't worry. That's what the rest of this talk is. That's what the rest of the time we're gonna spend together uh, the next 30 minutes or so, um, 25, 30 minutes or so. Uh, how do we map our Git metrics to those Dora metrics? So before we can really do that and do a one-to-one -one mapping, let's talk quickly about what I mean by what Git metrics can tell you about your team. Let's just break it down. Git is a version control system. I'm not gonna explain how it works in depth, but it gives you versions of your code at any snapshot you wanna take. We call those snapshots commits. We can take those commits and ship them all over the place. And it has become the underlying mechanism for how DevOps functions. Because of that, no matter what your DevOps infrastructure looks like, Git is at the heart. It's that beating heart that we can start looking at uh, numbers that you already have access to, probably. What Git metrics tell you about your team? Well, this is where the mapping actually starts. Uh, so if it's in blue, that is the 
Dora metric, if it's a uh, black, that is a get metric. That's how I color coded these. So cycle time. This is a function of mean lead time for changes. So how much time does the team spend from the start of the work until it gets deployed and available to the end user? It's the measurement of the commit making into production, which is a subset over the overarching metric of lead mean time for changes. Uh, but that cycle time should be short. If it's very long, if you know that the time it takes for a deployment to happen is longer than you want it to be, well, that's an area you probably need to improve on. Coding time, slightly different than cycle time. It's a subset of, of cycle time. But from the time the ticket's picked up until that push happens, how long did that take? And on the surface, that might seem a little bit like, but that could be any number. It shouldn't be any number. It should be, in general, a short chunk. Whether you're doing um, Scrum or Kanban, if it ranges all over the map, that points as an underlying problem within your organization's um, request system. How often uh, are you making giant requests that are going to take a month versus tiny requests that are going to take two minutes? Why is it all over the map? Why is this uh, not a fairly consistent? Like, I understand how long it takes a developer to do something. Why has that gotten lost in, in the process? I'm not pointing fingers and saying everybody's got this right or wrong. Just this is something we can start looking at for our, the numbers we have access to when we start looking at our GitHub metrics. Um, pull request time until review. This is the time from the code being submitted until the QA testing team can get to it. This is a subset of deployment frequency. If it has to sit there behind a row of other requests that have already been sent back, that's a bad sign. If it is, oh, we have the automated system and there's a slight cue of how often we can look at the results and do the final human approval process. That's probably a really good thing. Um, one of my old colleagues, Andrew Taylor, used to say, uh, one of the jobs of automation is to put all of the work onto the machines. And then I, as a human, just need to review the results. I don't have to actually go manually do any of the things. And this is a very good indicator of, are you doing automation correctly? The more you can shift it over to the left and have developers do testing early and often and relieve the QA team. So they are really just dealing with like extreme cases and scale cases that you can't test locally, the better. Actual review time for PRs. This is a fun one that is directly related to coding time and uh, cycle time. Um, yeah, PR review time. If it takes you forever to go through a PR line by line and there's 40 files involved and a thousand lines of code, there's probably not something good at, uh, there probably wasn't agreement early on on what the scope of that request should have been. Uh, there wasn't communication of this or what our normal cycles look like. This is what our sprints look like. We need to break our requests down. And there wasn't enough communication of like, yeah, we can get that done, but it's going to take us four sprints. 
Like, no, we just need to do it and review it all at once. The problem is this, one of the problems, there are many problems here, but one of the problems is the PR review time is very dependent on what else is in their queue. If PRs take forever, that queue just keeps getting longer and longer and longer. Um, rate of code rejection for PRs. This is very much deployment frequency uh, issue, and it sounds like on the surface it might be change failure. But this isn't failure in production. This is failure before it makes it to production. This is failed tests. This is QR or QA time and testing time, uh, sending it back and forth and sending that loop. So instead of having the feedback loop of end users being like, I love this feature, I hate this feature, it would be great if feature did X. It is this code don't work. It does now, but it doesn't work in this case. Oh, you didn't account for this security issue. If we can um, categorize and identify the reasons for rejected PRs, you can start addressing like the overall, like what is actually causing this? Is it just one bad programmer? I hate to say, but there's an easy fix for that. You get a different programmer. If it is, we poorly defined what we wanted to happen, um, you can probably address that programmatically or not programmatically with process, process-wise. Um, project branch lifetime. There's a lot of ways you can run a Git branching strategy. What Dora uncovered, and I didn't agree with it first. I had to read the book a couple times and talk to a bunch of engineers about this. Um, the shorter a branch lives, the healthier your overall DevOps pipeline is. Hmm. It's a direct correlation. People like Google and Twilio and very large successful companies typically go with trunk-based development. Mm -hmm. The only exception to this is open source. Open source, given the nature of it, you can't do trunk-based. I mean, you theoretically could if it's small enough of a team, but if you think of like the Drupal uh, project, there's thousands of developers all over the world working on things. Linux project, tens of thousands of developers adding code to it. There's no way you could do trunk. And some branches just live forever. And having multiple branches in your Git branch strategy, prod, dev, test, uh, whatever you want to call them, that are permanent branches, that's a different thing than our feature branches. It took us six months of, to get this feature branch finally merged and we could archive it or uh, delete that branch. That's probably not a good sign. Another caveat that they were quick to point out in the... Uh, Accelerate book is local branches don't really factor into this. We're talking about shared branches. If you are working on something on the side, especially in open source, and that branch is just where you do the work for that locally, probably nothing wrong with that. That doesn't really factor into our DevOps metrics. That's a local coding thing. Now, it can start affecting our coding times if you get lost in your Git branches. Um, originally, my point here was back when I was working with Git Kraken, uh, use tools that help you understand your friggin' branches, um, like visualize them, understand them a little bit better. Don't get lost in just a bunch of text, lines of text, and have to map in your head how they all go together. And so can I ask a question? Um, sure. Sorry, I was I was really trying hard to wait because um, this is all sure. great information. 
but I have questions roiling in the back of my head and maybe you'll be addressing these. Um, but so all of these things, right? Measuring time for branch lifetime, measuring failure. So, which I guess the time-based metrics is, a lot of these are geared towards time-based metrics. How fast do we get code out there? How fast does a QA team review PRs? How fast does a PR get reviewed? Mm -hmm. um, or how fast does a QA team get to looking at what's come through and how fast does a PR get through? And then there's the, how often do you fail? Um, how Things like that. Are these metrics emitted that we can like, so you showed, I think you showed Datadog earlier or some- uh, New Relic, yeah. New Relic, some collection tool, right? Like, is there a way to get these metrics collected? That is a great question. And give me a couple slides to get there. Okay. Because um, uh, I'm almost there. I'm almost, almost there, I promise you. Um, but so the last one, the last metric that uh, get metric you have full access to locally is commits, just the raw number of commits. This again, isn't counting how many commits did you squash locally? If you as a local developer on your local machine or your local dev cloud dev environment, ah, your specific cloud dev environment have, it took you 50 tries to get the commit right. Fine. I, that's fine. Um, but if there are 50 commits in your history, because it took you 50 tries to 50 pushes to get there, something probably ain't right. Um, and it is also works as the base since the base of, uh, is the base metric, uh, since the base of Git base unit of Git. And that's why I started by defining Git as a set of snapshots those number of commits, that is the base number we can build all of our other Git metrics off of. Now, the thing that is obvious, and I think one of the things your question was leading to was like, but what about those other ones? Mean time to recover, change failure rate. How do we get at those numbers? I wish there was a better answer. I don't know what recovery means for your organization. Git doesn't know that. Git knows commits, Git knows timestamps, Git knows who wrote the thing, Git knows how many commits there are, Git knows your history. It can't tell you what failure means. It can't tell you what recovery means. Frequency and changes, yes, easy enough. Failure, what does that mean exactly? Is the whole system down? Is one piece broken? Yeah, and that's a it seems like it's kind of like a balancing act, right? Because your change failure rate could be mm -hmm. high, and maybe that means your PR and review process is too loose, or maybe your change failure rate is very low, but then your mean lead, lead time for changes is super high because it takes forever. You have great code coverage and review, but it just takes like it, it just takes so long to get to get the changes out. So I can see those kind of being like dualistic there. Yeah, and, uh, and a little bit. Um, and this is a problem, and that's literally the talking point of this slide. Uh, this is the, the holy grail right now for DevOps tooling. Everybody's chasing this and have been for a few years. The companies that are getting it really, are doing it really well are like GitLab and Haystack and Linear B. Um, Haystack, Linear B, um, uh, Pluralsight, these are not cheap solutions. 
they are expensive tools that help you gather all of these metrics in one place and give you those dashboard views. GitLab, one of the reasons I love GitLab is they do everything in the open. You can go look, you can go watch engineering meetings on YouTube. That's how they distribute them around the world. Um, that's how I learned a lot about, uh, I'll, um, I think I linked to one of their YouTube channels later, I think. Maybe I don't, but you can go just go look up GitLab, Dora, uh, and Meeting, and Google, and you will find YouTube videos of them talking about this problem. They have full access to that those first two because they're Git-based tools. Um, Git Kraken was building something. I'm not sure if it's public yet or not by the time this airs, uh, but they're working on on things uh, because well, they're Git tools. Um, that start pointing to like, how do we get to those Git metrics that under, underlie those things? And that's really where I was involved in the conversation and really my point of view when I wrote this deck, uh, I wrote this talk. I mean, um, those metrics, because they're Git, are pretty easy to map out. And it's something you can do on your own, but tools are there to help you. It's that qualitative, well, what do we mean by recovery? What do we mean, like how do you, you're, uh, one of the problems that uh, GitLab talked about in a meeting was assuming Git branch names mapped to specific things. And they even said like, it's hilarious because we're assuming this and that's not how we do it internally. Uh, I, I, someone's gonna ask me for that exact link. It would take me a while to dig it back out, but it's a meeting from like, 2000 or 2001, when they say that, um, it, it's a hard problem. Um, Dora actually, believe it or not, completely relies, not completely, but mostly relies on survey data. Survey data can tell you those facts. What's your average time to recover, or mean time to recover? What's your change failure rate? Half of the book of Accelerate is defending the methodology. I'm not even kidding. It's only about half the book explains what I explained here. It goes into a little more detail. Half the book is just explaining like, you can trust survey data in these specific circumstances. So that's the last piece of who do you ask? Who do you have this conversation with? What do you do with this? Like, great, I'm a developer or I run a team and I have Git metrics, and I know we have a DevOps organization. What do I do now? Start with just the people working around you. Is everybody using Git the same way? Hey, why is one person pushing a bunch of PRs and then the person sitting beside them doesn't? Are we all on the same page as far as the release process? Does everyone know how this works? When you onboard a new person, is this dramatically impacting all of your numbers? If it is, well, you have some work to do. I'm not saying there's a right or a wrong 100%, but onboarding someone shouldn't drastically spike your um, spike your change failure rate. Um, your DevOps team. Say you and your coding team, your immediate team working around you, I'm assuming the person listening to this is a developer or leading the dev team. You already might be on this team, the DevOps team. Um, and I know DevOps incorporates everything. I get it. 
but there's also people that are responsible for you know your testing suite being available and connected to your other pipe parts of your pipeline so the whole team holistically that manages devops is someone actually responsible for chasing these numbers down like i said uh lord kelvin quote if you don't measure it you can't approve it who's measuring it if you're suddenly thinking like who is responsible for this on my company maybe it's time to start having this conversation maybe it's time to buy them copies of accelerate and start saying maybe we should start moving toward a, a worldview where we're trying to get these metrics to go in and up into the right how much automation do you have in place if you already have everything automated then well maybe it's just time to fine-tune some stuff or maybe you're an elite performer already and this is <laughs> i don't know why you're listening to my talk um your qa team it's a subset of devops but they are dedicated teams and your support team i would highly encourage everyone to go talk to your actual support teams like the customer support teams they are the front lines they know what breaks they know this is speaks to the quanti uh, qualification uh, quali ah, qualitative data versus quantitative data when something technically works but it doesn't do as expected is that a failure if your support team is slammed with requests all of a sudden that's a failure no matter if it's just re-education if it's something else is needed that speaks to oh yeah okay we have failed in delighting our customer because at the end of the day, that's what you're supposed to be doing is delighting your customers. Um, are they responsible for all the testing automation? If so, why? Um, you need to shift left um, and start disseminating their knowledge. Like, all right, this is how you do unit testing. This is how we're going to test it. So here's the testing tools. Why don't you just test it before you submit the PR? Have those conversations. Uh, marketing and sales team, yeah, they actually do matter here. Who's making the request that you're taking these uncontrolled amounts of time to deploy? Ultimately, this is the team making those requests uh, because we all, if you if you worked in sales, then you know that you're the most important person in the whole company. If you're outside of sales, you know that every salesperson thinks that they're the most important person in the whole company and that their customer is the only one that matters. So when a, their biggest customer, their deal of the quarter has these crazy demands, it's all, now it's on your shoulders. What do they think the truth is here? How do they communicate with you? Is there a clear, it's a question I've asked every company I've ever interviewed with in my life, like, what's the actual feedback communication system look like between your sales team and your engineering team? And the ones that stare at me blankly and say, that's a good question, I don't talk to. Um, that's, a true, that's a true fact. If they say, oh, well, we have you know, these systems in place, um, I'm not gonna go into any specifics on it, but if there's a clear communication channel there and like, okay, this goes through product, and then product communicates to the engineering and here's the actual system and I can show you the Asana board or the um, the JIRA cards for how that works. That's a that's an awesome sign. Um, they probably don't use version control so you can't really get a get metrics from them. Uh, 
but it's important to them to understand that that's the metrics you're going off of and that how your metrics are affected by their requests. Um, but ultimately, the people that pay the bills, the people that cut the checks, they need to be bought into all this. How do you interface with them? If you don't at all, at all, that's probably not a good sign. Um, is it just one-way communication? If there is, uh, they're probably what they consider failure, what you consider failure, probably slightly different things. Finding that common ground of, well, it works. If you're saying that and they're very unhappy, it's going to be a bad day. And if they're saying it works and you know it doesn't, that's going to be a bad day in a completely different way. Yeah, it's the old, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Well, you know. What's broke mean? It's a, yeah, exactly. One thing I find very interesting too about this, and I, I, I enjoy that you're going down this road, is that how big, do you think that there's been, so originally DevOps, or not, I shouldn't say originally, but you know, a big component of DevOps is that not just, it, it's the continuous feedback emphasis on feedback and communication loop. Do you think it's gotten a little, you know, through the years, it's, it's gotten focused more on the pipeline and engineering aspect of it. And we almost need like another, another two arms going up and down to talk about the feedback metrics and also feedback communication process part, because I feel like people focus solely on the, you know, de code, deploy, release, uh, you know, review and then and that, but we really like, this is so important, right? It's all about communication, feedback processes. Like how do you, how do you integrate that outside of the, just the technical bits and bytes of it, right? Um, I think that is where your scrum masters and your agile leads come in personally. And I a hundred percent agree with you. Uh, what's the old, it's an old adage and I'm going to butcher it, but if something can be turned into a product, it will be turned into a product. And that's really what happened with DevOps. I mean, continuous integration was a thought process that Martin Fowler wrote down. It says, this is how we go from not communicating and having all these problems to automation and not having all these problems. And that got turned into, well, just buy my product and it does this. Right. Uh, and the people that are the stalwarts of, hey, this is how this should go. And let's keep on the guardrails and just remember it as a communication. Those people have scrum master titles. Those people have, you know, are leading agile teams. Um, investing in those people. If the company is like, well, no, it'll figure itself out. Bad sign, red flag. If it is, no, this person's in charge of making sure that we don't have a, a long lag time between a request getting made and actually getting production and their job's on the line if that starts going all over the map. That is the people person, the people ops um, in the core of, of DevOps. Uh, right. But you're absolutely right. We've tried to think of DevOps as a set of tools versus a set of beliefs and processes. And yeah, I think there's, I don't know if we need to change that picture at all because that picture is already pretty complex. Um, 
then but that's what that picture is supposed to be representing is the communication feedback loop uh, one of my favorite definitions of, of devops ever um uh, kelly albright from um last call media i don't know if he's still there but uh like devops is the continual feedback loop of did it work how do we make it better um, I'm paraphrasing them heavily, but that's that's what DevOps should be all about, not the automation tooling, because it's just a tool. Right. So let me wrap up real quick, and then we'll get to all the other questions. Um, so what what do you do with all this information? Like, it's great that I presented all this stuff. You go read Accelerate. It's going to give you a lot more information about how to make surveys happen and whatnot. Um, but I think there's some stuff everyone could do. Do you have access to this Git data? Everybody's using Git, but do you actually have access to how many commits are in your average deployment? How long does branches live? That data is all there, but can you get to it? If it's not your job, go have the conversation with someone to make sure someone's got it. Are there obstacles where, you know, it, we just, there's too many things going on and we don't have that line of sight? That's a bad idea. That, that's a bad indicator go get that line of sight and if you go to people and like well we got to get this like let's unblock this and get this data to figure out where we are on the map and they push back and say no ain't worth it that's a bad sign if they say well i don't know how to get that data actually but you know what we should be getting that data how do we get that data and you go talk to your bi people your business intelligence people uh, and it starts clearing out and clearing the way and you start like, okay, I can get that data. You're probably in a good org and you might already be at the elite side of it, but you don't know until you measure. To your point, communication is the key component here. If you're in Jira, but the people originating your request are in Asana, how are those things getting translated? It's not one-to-one. -one. How is it affecting your um get repos i'm guarantee you it is somehow in some way shape or form but how is your communication strategy working is everyone on the same page this is especially true when you're talking to teams that customer face are customer facing like marketing and sales um customer support um customer success or whatever you want to call them these days um are you working around the systems you have in place that were put in for good reasons? We all buy and put in systems because they say on the box, they're gonna do awesome things for us. And then we end up going around it because that's ah, too slow. Uh, there was a serious problem I faced in a couple organizations I worked in, won't name any names, where there's an official ticketing system. And then the conversations on Slack that go around the ticketing systems, so we can get things done. That problem in and of itself is a whole talk. Right. That last one, um, uh, it actually comes from a commercial, but uh, I'll, I'll credit Scott Crawford for me, like, drilling into my head. Uh, Scott Crawford was a VP of sales at Pantheon for a couple of years. Um, just because you yell something louder doesn't make any clearer. Uh, there's a, a old commercial where like someone yells cement waffle frog helmet or something like that. Can't remember the exact phrase. Couldn't find it either. I spent some time looking. And it was just them thinking they were communicating because they were extremely loud. Uh, and it might have been a holiday in commercial. I don't remember. But 
just being mad and just yelling to get your own way doesn't fix a dang thing if you have other problems. So just keep that in the back of your head. Uh, I'm going to find that source. And if I'm ever in a meeting where I don't understand what somebody's saying, I'm going to start shouting that. (laughs) Uh, Well, the last big set yourself up for success here. Um, You got to have top down and bottom up buy-in. If it's just you and your team implementing your, your awesome, awesome plan, your organization's not going to benefit. Um, your team might, and there's probably nothing wrong, and everything's got to start somewhere. And you can show results of my team improved all of these awesome metrics because we started doing things this way, and here's the results to prove it. Oh, I realized that I messed this slide up, and I did not actually fix the things on the side. Sorry about that. I just rebuilt these slides right before this talk. Um, but important thing here, and I'm not going to go dig out the correct one. Important thing here is that if everyone is um, talking past each other and the people at the top are like, well, we do it our way. And these are the numbers that are important to us and the people at the bottom, uh, no matter how you define top or bottom here, I'm not saying you could put your key stakeholders at the bottom in this paradigm. If the people outside of your team, I should say that may be a better way to put it outside of your team are in disagreement on what metrics even matter and how we're getting at them and why we should go chase them, then you're not going to see any improvement in the org. And then you're going to still have that burnout and it's going to be a bad place to work. So wrap it up real quick. Then we'll go on to questions, uh, wrap up the hour. Um, Metrics are important. We all have access to a lot of data, even though you might not have access to the right data. You still have access to some data, somewhere to even start from, your own commit history, if nothing else. Knowing what to measure is important as measuring itself. That's where things like uh, Google's Dora and Accelerate are really going to come in handy to point in the right direction of like, here's why this stuff matters and ultimately how you identify top performers. If you chase metrics in isolation just to chase a metric, it's bad. You want the overall results. Dora gives you four overarching things, but it's up to you to like, how do our internal numbers map to these things? There's other books, there's other articles, there's a lot of information out there about how people are trying. Um, it's as much art as it is science, I believe at this point, that's my opinion saying that. Um, but communication is the crucial point in, in all making all of this work. You can go get buy more tools to help you do this, but unless you have that agreement about how you're gonna communicate and work together, after you bought that tool, might as well not buy the tool. If you buy yet another awesome dashboard and you're the only one looking at it and no one has any actionable items off of you looking at it, nah, you're not going to do well. Let's never forget, well, first, Randy Savage is one of the coolest people I've ever lived. Uh, but two, uh, also elite performers communicate very effectively across the entire org. When one person says something a certain way, everyone else in the organization understands exactly what they mean. Most of the time. Um, Everybody understands what they're doing very deeply. They understand that their business mission very much should line up with their individual developer mission, should line up with the individual mission of QA, should line up with the individual mission of uh, customer support. It all happens together to make a healthy organization. 
and everybody's bought in on the same goal, the same vision of like, this is how DevOps works. Again, there are tons of resources. These are just the first like six I wrote down, uh, hundreds more. If you Google, um, Google, Google Accelerate, that's weird to say, Google Accelerate or Google Dora or Dora metrics, you will find page after page after page of article. Um, there's a really good breakdown. I don't even have it on here. Um, uh, from, oh, there it is. Yeah, yeah, I do have uh, Linear B did a really good job of breaking down Git metrics in and of themselves. It's where I draw some of the, what I've, I've done. Um, and there are other great, awesome, simplified breakdowns of Accelerate outside the book, but the book's awesome. And it's got Martin Fowler as the wrote the, the, the intro, so you can't go wrong. So I'm Dwayne Lim Chicago, and you know, happy to answer any questions you got. I'll yeah, put this thanks. back up. Thanks, Dwayne. Um, so I guess what, so, I mean, it's great, great talk, lots of things to think about. And, you know, one of the things that I encounter a lot with my customers is, and, and I, I guess where, it's always going to be more difficult with scale, right? If you have a if you have a newer organization that's a small, maybe it's just a small team and that's the whole org, they're probably a lot faster to 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 be able to make these implementations. But a bigger team, you know, you talk about getting everybody on the same page. I know customers who one developer team uses one pipeline and tools for that pipeline, and another developer team uses a different, completely different set of tools for different like and there's just friction between the two and you know there's there's difficulties there but if we're looking here it's starting with git and cuz the data is there with git at least for the first two and then we have to define the others would you say what would you say is like a or is there analysis done by dora saying hey this is the low hanging fruit or not even maybe not even low hanging fruit, but this is like you're gonna get your most you're gonna get your most value for looking into this area first, mm -hmm. and and is there anything like that or is there anything? Yeah, uh, the accelerate book does uh, touch on that somewhat. Um, unfortunately, there's no one true path here. There's just four overarching metrics that show up and every elite customer that they can identify. And they ranged all over the map too. And they make a big point in that in the book. There are brand new, smaller companies that are doing it completely wrong and are disintegrating under their selves. And then there's giant organizations that you wouldn't expect um, that are doing it great. Uh, one of the reasons I, I list GitLab in here and their, um, their docs, their API docs, which might seem really weird on the surface that I've included that one, but that is a language we can all get behind of like, all right, this is how an API that measures this stuff works. Maybe there is like a science we can all kind of agree here. Um, but you ask a lot, a lot in there. Um, getting alignment and communication is just fundamentally hard, especially in organizations that are large enough to have multiple teams that have all bought into different tools. And that's where the top down alignment really, really comes in handy, or not handy, becomes mandatory. Um, if you have uh, what are you, uh, walls between organizations internally, and everybody's like, no, I got to do it my way. No, I got to do it my way. And everybody's buying the same general kind of tools. 
then you have no sent like no shared knowledge you can't improve the org because well we're using 30 different things that do five things across right. the business is there a good fix to that i really don't know um i'd hope there i'd hope there would be at some point some agreement where man upper sea level management is like look this this can't continue like we have to be one team we have one goal uh, I know Google does a billion things, but um, like the Google.com team, like that makes search is one team with trunk-based deployment that does one thing exceptionally well inside of a much, much, much larger org that does a million things. But they as an org that big still consolidate as much as they can i've known a number of employees at google over the years who are like no this is not the google way it's just this is the agreement because this at the end of the day we're serving the customers to do x and we can get there faster with better results if we collectively use this knowledge base we have and communicate among along these general pathways um I think metrics come into the picture to help those conversations move along. If you can go to your immediate boss or director level, VP level, and like, hey, did you know this is the situation? Do you know that it takes us on average two weeks to deploy something? And it's all over the map, like where that average comes from. Like this thing took us two months. This thing took us a year. This thing took us 20 minutes. There's no consistency here. Uh, and start having that conversation. And if the answer is like, we don't care, just get your job done. That's an organizational problem. I'm not sure what the answer is to that. Right, right. If the, There could be the answer like, I didn't know that. Or, hey, I was just thinking about this myself. Have you looked at this data yet? And you can start having those conversations. It's going to be organizational dependent. Um, but if there's no one at the bottom cares that we need to fix this and just, I just want to clock in, pump out my code or do my tests and go home. Well, the top is like, well, we need to align and delight our customers. Then that's a mismatch, a mismatch unto itself that again, I don't know how to fix that directly. Right. Yeah. But I mean, to your point earlier, um, if you have that data, you can bring it and say, okay, well, we're going to implement X, Y, just like we would with code, right? Like I have a problem. I have a bug. I'm going to try something new. I'm going to see if it fixes the thing and I'm going to, I'm going to close the bug. Same thing. Like I have this data. I see it takes me an average of three weeks to push something or four weeks to push something. I'm going to make these changes. Let's see if we can drill it down to two weeks or even, even just minus one week off of it. And if we're, we are, we're going in the right direction. If it starts oscillating, and going off the map, well, let's let's go back to what we were originally doing and try something else, right? Um, but you can't do that if you if you can't see that. So, um, yeah, if you don't, I I don't want to be prescriptive and say there's one thing to look at here, but the, the it's true though that if you are using Git, the one thing you definitely have a history of is, or access to is your Git history. Looking at that and saying, all right, between tags, how many commits do I have? And just just start there. And if it looks pretty average, not I mean, it's never going to be exactly the same every time. But 
it's like, hey, wait a minute, why did this tag take us or this this release have 40 different commits in it? And the next one only had five, but it wasn't a, just as a bug fix. Like what happened here? Right. How did we get there? Start start there and ask, start asking questions out from the one thing you have that you know is true. And the conversation can go a million ways, but you'll have that one true thing at the center of it to hold you down. I think part of how we got to multiple teams using multiple tools is you have a champion on each team, like this is what I think the problem is. And this is how I think we solve it. And this tool does what I think will solve it. But that's based on feeling and what how it directly affected their their position, not the overall org and the overall org's mission. Not to say anyone's greedy in that. Again, they're trying to do what they think will solve the problem, but from their seat and not from a data-driven perspective. But that's, right. again, that's an opinion. I don't have any actual facts or truth to say this is why that's broken. This is from a lot of conversations I've had about this over the last year of my life. And I think if, if you have a leaner team, it's a priority issue. Optimizing the process is lower on the priority than getting things out because you need to get it out because you need to hit a deadline. Obviously, if you optimize the process, that would help you get it out faster. But that also takes that takes people's time to 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 dig into all of those details, those nuances that are in the data that and the patterns that are there that maybe they just don't have the time for because they got to get they got to get the next release out right. So that's ultimately we're in a perfect world we would be all be able to step back and say, we're going to fix this and we're going to get on the same page, but we all have the deadlines. Um, looking at the metrics from the lens of how does this help us with the deadlines might be a good way to approach it. Like, look, we are all super stressed. Um, it, it's, uh, what was her name? Um, someone gave a talk about this at GitCon last year. Uh, Leslie Chapman from Comcast. Uh, she noticed that they're just looking at this has nothing to do with Dora or any of these metrics here. This is simply a Git metric thing. At Comcast, they realized that working in two week cycles, the amount of time it took them to uh, review PRs went from like two days to 20 minutes the closer they got to that release cycle. I'm, I'm kind of exaggerating, but I think it might've been like an hour, like it, but it shrunk dramatically and their change failure rate, she didn't use the exact term, but that's what she was implying, um, was all over the map. Sometimes they lucked out and those changes that barely got QA'd, QA'd worked. And sometimes they blew things up. And then they had two different teams that were doing the same thing, but in entirely different ways. And it wasn't until they took the Git measure and said, like, look, here's on the table, why is it like this? And started interviewing people inside Comcast, say, like, well, what, why? And the answers were shocking and revealing. It's like, well, we're working against this deadline. Like, we got to get this code out. doesn't matter if it worked or not. We got a deadline to hit. And then they started fixing that. And like, well, no, we're going to do proper reviews 
for the full time it takes to do that review and let's not worry about the deadline and not worry about we have to ship every two weeks and let's then start to look at what we do with those requests and like why are we jamming all of this in two weeks and then you give that whole talk you can go find that on the gitcon.com slash gitcon i don't know com slash gitcon um and look for leslie chapman um okay. and she there's a pretty pretty good talk about that yeah we'll throw that in with these links into the show notes um we are up on our time and I don't mm -hmm. see any uh, other questions at the moment. So um, with that, Dwayne, if you're okay, we'll uh, we'll call it to a close. And thank you so much again. Very, very um, interesting talk. Lots of, you gave me lots to think about um, for my customers and, 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 and also with my organization. Um, very interesting never yeah it's like it's it's like the data is always there but sometimes it's it's you can't see it you know because it's just you got all these other things happening and then it's like well, wait it's right there if i just take a pause and i actually see <laughs> focus on this maybe i can find some optimization so it's very interesting um yeah i i, I and ideally customers love data ideally like well I'm, i look up this data that proves i'm serving you uh, right I don't know. Again, this is a set of opinions that give hopefully push in the right direction for food for thought. And you can craft your own dang conclusions out there. But read the accelerate book. If you take nothing else away, go buy it, read it. It's a really good book. Yeah, absolutely. I'm gonna go pick up a copy. Thanks so much, Dwayne. Thank you to all our viewers, and um we will see you uh next week. Um take care. Cheers. <laughs>